Hey, everybody, and welcome back in to Locked on Bama. Luke Robinson, that's me, and Jimmy Stein, that's him. Jimmy, how are you today? Can we sleep for 12 days? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's 12 days till LSU. It's it's the Super Bowl. It's the Super Bowl of college football four months early. And for anybody that says that's crazy, we're not even to the playoffs, I would ask that person, is the winner of Alabama LSU the favorite to win the playoff? The answer is yes. Uh, I don't know. I, I I might have to go Ohio State right now. I mean, <laughs> no, I, mean I, I really disagree. would. No, uh, I don't disagree. I get it. And, and you know, until I see how well Tua can go um, and until I know exactly how our injury situation is going to affect us against a, a, a top quality opponent, which we haven't played yet, then I can't say it's us. I want to say it's us. I just can't say it's us. I, I get that. I, I would just say that because Ohio State – now, they've played a tougher schedule than Alabama. They they really have. I don't think they've played a tougher schedule than LSU. But they I have played that. a tougher schedule than Alabama. And I, I get exactly what you're saying. I'm just saying that there will be some level of proof, for lack of a better term, some level of proof that the Alabama-LSU winner – is not only playoff worthy, but high seed worthy. Proof. Now, now, does it mean that the loser of Alabama LSU is out of it or that the loser can't make the playoff or that the loser can't win the playoff? We actually have from eight years ago evidence that the loser of this Alabama LSU game is not out of it and may in fact be the best team in the country as Alabama proved in 2011. But trust me, you want to be the winner of Alabama LSU, and there's some level of proof that you belong in the playoff if you win this game. Well, yeah, definitely. And here's the thing. I think it's going to be a lot easier for LSU to lose this game than it is for Alabama, even if Alabama had yes. to play without Tua, which I don't think they will. But um, if Alabama loses with or without Tua, um, yep. they're going to have to ask for a lot of help coming up. And – and not just in the form of LSU losing two games so Alabama can go to the SEC title game. I'm no. thinking more like uh, Clemson's got to lose or, you know, Ohio State may need to lose twice. And who are they going to lose twice to? I mean, they, they, and, and if they do lose twice, one of them's going to be to Penn State, who then would become a factor for getting in. So this is kind of a – I mean, everybody wants to expand the playoffs. Here's my argument to not do it. We're already in the playoffs, essentially. Yes, yeah, somebody yes. So, somebody might get a do-over. They might. But it's no sure thing. Uh, uh, far from it. Um, because right now I would say it looks promising for Alabama or LSU to go undefeated, Clemson to go undefeated, and Penn State or Ohio State to go undefeated. And then you have a wild card. And um, everybody's sort of in the playoff in that sense, too, because – Oklahoma can't lose again and get in. I mean, I guess Baylor could could go undefeated and get in, but that's we all know that's not happening. So, um, uh, yeah, Alabama doesn't need to lose this game. There, there's no doubt about it. And we have, you know, uh, whatever today is, 12 days to, to sect and dissect this thing. So I thought today we would just sort of hop around a little bit with some Alabama tidbits from all over the, the state and – the city of Tuscaloosa and the country in general. One thing that jumped out to me, Jimmy, 
um, today, and I thought it was quite ironic. Kenyon Drake was traded to the Arizona Cardinals, and everybody saw that coming yes. because he w- he didn't make the trip with the Dolphins, but traded to the Cardinals, which I think is so cool. The spot of probably his one of the most famous kickoff returns in college football history made by him, and now he's playing for that team. Yeah, my take on this is Kenyon Drake has just become the first player ever promoted to the Cardinals. I mean, That's most true. of the time, the Cardinals are so bad when you're traded in the NFL or you're drafted to the Cardinals of late, you feel like, holy crap, yay, I'm in the NFL. Boo, I'm at the bottom of the ladder. Kenyon Drake traded out of the dumpster fire that is Miami. He just got promoted to a four-win team. Uh, you know, so, so yeah, I feel good for Kenyon because he's out of that mess in Miami and it is so cool at the spot of his – his greatest moment and really Arizona we'll see maybe they're a team you know I've not I've read some criticisms of Kyler Murray's performance so far that I think are over the top and silly because he's just now starting out as a rookie on a bad team uh, I still don't rule out the possibility that Kyler Murray is going to be an outstanding NFL quarterback I think that's still very possible anybody that that has seen this first half season that's making some sort of definitive statement that Kyler Murray's a bust. That's nuts. I mean, let, let's see. I, I've, I've seen some impressive play out of that kid considering all circumstances. So maybe Kenyon's going to a good situation there. Certainly a better situation than Miami's near future. By the time my running back shelf lives are so short, by the time Miami is good again, Kenyon's shelf life may be over. But oh, yeah, it may, it may be time for again. it may be time for Kenyon Drake Jr. by the time the Dolphins are good again. You know, having <laughs> said that, I'm watching them right now, and as of this taping, they're up 14 to three at Pittsburgh, and I'm sure that are. the entire uh, front office of the Dolphins is calling the coach right now and going, "What are you doing? <laughs> We're tanking. <laughs> We're not winning. We're tanking." Um, hey, this is funny but, because it's tanking for Tua. This is hilarious. I saw a poll. In the Miami newspaper, I guess that's the Post Herald or whatever the hell it is. I saw a, an online poll that said Miami plays Cincinnati hypothetically. Miami plays Cincinnati late in the year. Both teams have yet to win a game. Do you want to win the game or lose? It was like eighty percent lose. I mean, it wasn't even close. The fans that told me. The fans are totally on board with tanking for that oh, first yeah. pick. So uh, no, so now Miami's beating a fairly decent team in Pittsburgh, missing, you know, because they're, they're missing a few guys too. But uh, it's hilarious to me that some Miami Dolphins fans probably watching this game right now going, what are you doing? Stop, stop, don't win. Well, well, as we say that, Pittsburgh is going to take a pass in for a touchdown. And Minka Fitzpatrick did just get an interception. Um, so that's good for him. But, uh, yeah, I think it's great. And here's the thing. Kenyon Drake may get to just pop right into a starting role because uh, David Johnson's hurt and his backup is now hurt and doubtful for this weekend or doubtful th- for Thursday night. So Kenyon Drake may go from the Dolphins to being the starter for the Cardinals on Thursday night against maybe the second best defense in the NFL with the San Francisco 49ers. But uh, that that would be kind of cool for him to be in that position and get a start 
I think it's actually in Arizona too. So that'd be a, a good position for him to be in. I th- I'm, I'm happy for him to get out of there. You're right. Cause it was a mess. He was criminally underused. Um, and let's see a couple other things. Nick Saban uh, pretty famously, at least statewide today said, look, uh, I can't predict what's going to happen with Tua. Um, I, I, you know, I think he'll be back. I, you know, he said the other day he'll be back Wednesday, but he's like, you never know. And I think this is Saban just playing some games. I think Tua will definitely be back, but that's, that's just what went on today. So hilarious to me that people think that Nick Saban knows that Nick Saban knows exactly, you know, is Tua going to play against LSU? Like, Nick knows this. Uh, I think the training staff at Alabama wants that to happen, but how in the world does anybody at Alabama when he ground and cuts, when he, when he's trying to play for real, no, nobody knows this. It's, it's sort of just a completely unpredictable thing. And, you know, I'm not blaming anyone in particular. Of course, everyone wants to know, but it's just an unknowable thing. The good news is, to this point, everything looks pretty good. Okay, so I, I'm not that worried about this LSU team, or at least I, I, I should say I've not been worried about this LSU team over the last several years, I'm more worried about this game, not just because of Tua. It does feel like LSU is more of a team of destiny to me. And right. that's that's what has me concerned a little bit. And we can talk about that later. It's just there's something about them that feels a little bit different this year. And I feel like uh, I, I saw the spread come out at Alabama's like nine and a half. That seemed a little high to me. Kind of crazy, but I think, before some fans overreact to that, the line that's created by the Vegas experts is not because a team of football experts sit in a room and watch tape and do all these matchup things about how well, you know, can Jerry Judy get open against Grant Delpit? It's not a football analysis. It's more of an accounting. It's bean counters. It's, what money comes in on Alabama, what money comes in on LSU, and what those people are trying to do, because it's how they make money, they're trying to get half of the betting public to put money on LSU and half of the betting public to put money on Alabama. And I think it's not that football gurus in Vegas say that Alabama's nine and a half points better telling the world that to get people to put money on the other side, this is how many points we have to give Alabama. Uh, we have to give LSU. So that's uh, that. That's what that means. It, it is not because I've seen some computer analysis already. The, the big computers, the supercomputers, computers, Joshua and war games, you know, the Joshua and war yeah. games. He is saying that Alabama is four points better than LSU. Yeah. And, that to me is a much better line, even though that makes me nervous because I'm not sure that's true. But, <laughs> but anyway, Joshua from War Games puts the line at Alabama minus four. Vegas trying to get half the betting public to put money on LSU is giving LSU nine points. Does that makes sense. Well, Jimmy, yeah, it makes some it makes some sense to me. It makes some sense. Well, um, speaking it's rare that I do. Speaking of putting things on things 
the folks at Roman, a men's health company, are changing the game with Roman Swipes, the secret to longer-lasting sex. Get $10 off your first order of swipes and two uh, free two-day shipping at GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNFL. So get locked on, All right. Jimmy. Well, um, our listeners should do that. Our listeners sh- should do that. <laughs> I mean, Even the women. I know. <laughs> I feel probably especially the women. They're the ones that are really want to use it. I mean, we, there's so many jokes that can be made, but you don't want to make them. You're oh, like, this, this puts us in an awkward situation. Not, <laughs> let's just not go it. Let's just not do it. Um, well, Jimmy, breaking news over Al Gore's internet. Uh, according to Aaron Suttles, he has just tweeted out, junior tight end Mir- Miller Forrestall is out for several weeks due to an injury he sustained in Saturday night in the Arkansas game. That comes from Aaron Suttles on Twitter. Aaron Suttles is friend awesome of the show. His job. Friend of the show. Friend of the he's show. Good, friend of the show. He, he's not going to tweet out something that ain't right. Um, nope. But this does make some sense because I also saw a tweet from Jalil Billingsley's dad, um, the tight end signee from this past year out of Illinois. And he mentioned, Hey, got to see my son play. And I, I think he's number 19. You know, it was so, it, so great to see my son play. And I think he got a big block or something like that. I was thinking, well, that's okay. I, that's great. He got to play. I didn't notice it in game. It just didn't come up. But so I was like, next time I go back and watch the game, I'm going to look for that. And now it, cause I was thinking, boy, that's weird that he played this game. You know, he hadn't played all year. Now it makes sense. They're try they got to get him ready with Forrest all out. It's a huge blow. It's a huge blow. I mean, here's the well, thing. Well, so, no huge, not a huge. I mean, it's big. I, I think it's I mean, huge. I think it's huge. Let's not go hyperbolic this, here. Well, huge is not about. Miller is a first round pick and uh, you know, it's like losing Terrell Lewis, which would change Alabama's season. I'm not saying it's unrecoverable, but the fact of the matter is the difference between Miller and who's going to have to step up is, is a, is a pretty big deal. Um, I, I think Alabama's going to be very creative here. Probably those offensive linemen that have been used as, as, as tight ends like Chris Owens and Kendall Randolph, are going to have to play bigger roles while at the same time, Major Tennyson, who is going to replace Miller as the primary tight end, has has to be a, a better player. I mean, it, it's it's a big loss in that sense. Uh, Miller was not – I'm not saying that Miller Forstall is one of the top six, eight, ten players on the team. I'm just saying that whew, the golf to replace him, it, it's, it's a big – it's a big deal. It is a big deal. And anyone that says – well, 87 hasn't really been blocking the edge very well. Uh, it, it's it's not that I, I I disagree with that, but it's about who replaces him. So this is a big story, and uh, it is yet another blow to Alabama, who clearly has some sort of uh, voodoo queens in, uh, in the Caribbean poking needles and dolls because our injury situation is uh, pretty crazy at this point. It's, it's practically chronic. And here's a couple of things that are ironic about all of it. Um, number one, we play LSU, who might have the best best edge rusher we've played to date in chase on. Um, and then I, I'm also thinking like, my God, Gertie, what if we have to play Ohio State in the playoffs and Chase Young is going up against Jaleel Billingsley? 
Oh my God. Oh, well, God. that's no. just, we'll, we'll just quit. <laughs> I, think, yeah, I think we just, yeah, I think we just phone that in. I mean, the only thing we could, we might be able to do more of is, is maybe we go four wide or something. I, you know, I don't you, know. I'm just, I'm if you're trying to here. block Chase Young, Alabama better do it, figuring out how to double him with Jedrick Wills and Alex Leatherwood together. And I don't know yeah. how you would do that X's and O's wise, but. We also Chase need to Young find out if John Hanna's got any more eligibility or something. Because <laughs> hey, do you remember? Is... you remember in 20, I guess it was probably 2010. I'm terrible at remembering years. But remember when South Carolina had Jadavion Clowney in 2010? I think it was 2010, right? He, no, he wasn't on the team in 2010. He wasn't on the what team. Year was it? He, what year he, was it? It wasn't that long ago. No, I think anyway. he was like 11, 12, and 13, I think. Uh, he in ten, I'm almost positive he was not on that team. It was twelve. It was twelve. Yeah. I, I know. I know now it was twelve uh, because, well, long silly story about how I know that. But Jadavion Clowney was a senior at South Carolina in 2012, and then he was the first pick in the draft. And everybody thought he was going to be the greatest pass rusher of all time, and he was so dominant in college. And he's been good in the NFL, although injured a lot. But. What I'm saying is Chase Young at Ohio State, he is better than Jadavion Clowney. I mean, I, I would take Chase Young twice before I'd take Clowney, and, and I was crazy about Clowney. So I, I'll even say this. As much as I love Tua and as much as I think Tua should win the Heisman Trophy because it wasn't fair what happened to him last year with the ankle injuries, and now his, his ankle is injured again, and it's just unfair what happens to Tua, the best player in college football is Chase Young. Period. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, but uh, but a pass rusher, a defensive pass rusher, is never going to win the award. It's, it, a pass rusher has never won the award. Is never going to win the award. And I get why. It's always going to be an offensive player. It's always going to be a quarterback. Sometimes a running back. Extremely rarely a wide receiver. But and a defensive player is is just likely not going to win it. But the trophy says best player in college football. That's Chase Young. End of story. No, yeah, the trophy should read best player if you're on Notre Dame or the (laughs) second best player if you're on Notre Dame. And then if it's not one of those two, it's probably a quarterback from a big conference. And if it's not one of those three, then it could be a running back, but only if – there's ESPN approves, but that's just way too long to inscribe on a trophy. You know how big that trophy would have to be? Man, that trophy would be so big. Heavy. Um, <laughs> it'd be like, would you even want to win it? You'd be like, what if I, I got to run a forklift to get this thing out of here, man. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, the forest all injury is, is bad, but I mean, you know, I've gotten to the point where every time we do this podcast and we start talking, it's like, oh my God, you know. Another guy's hurt. Yeah, another guy's hurt. Somebody's got a hernia. Uh, you know, somehow so one of our guys' ovaries exploded. They don't even have ovaries, but they exploded. <laughs> and so he's not playing. That's what's um, next, particularly with a linebacker. <laughs> no, That's the only amazing out. part is we lose Miller Forstall for the season, and he's not a linebacker. Did Did you get any – I got hives a little bit watching Edwards Hilaire uh, – juke some Auburn linebackers who are pretty good and they're all kind of thump. Like I would say Kenny Britt is a thumper. He's less of a thumper and more mobile than Shane Lee to me though, which leads me to believe that Shane Lee may get juked several times by number 22 for LSU. 
it'll happen. Let me tell you about, about, you know, Shane Lee's not the fastest guy in the world. When we recruited him, he wasn't fast. He's not going to be fast. He's just built to be a thumper, and thumpers are a little less, gosh, I hate using the word relevant, but thumpers are a little less relevant in 2019 college football than they were in, let's say, 2012 college football. But I think what Shane's made a lack of lateral quickness or speed or quick or, you know, his quicks, his twitch, as they call it. It's not that so much as it's it, it's diagnosing the play. Uh, when, when you're an inside linebacker at the SEC level, you have to diagnose the play quickly. That's harder for true freshmen than older kids. I don't think Shane is a step slow getting to plays as he is a step slow in diagnosing things, which is extremely common for 18-year-olds who are trying to do a job that 20- and 21-year-olds are actually built to do. So I think as Shane gets more experience, we won't see him one step slow on passes in the flats or plays outside. I think it's just a diagnosis thing. And to use my bad analogies that I use all the time that people love, when I was growing up back in the dinosaur era, the best shortstop in the American League was Cal Ripken Jr., and he was a huge shortstop. He's like 6'4", when every other shortstop in the major leagues was 5'11". And he was this, you know, <laughs> bluntly, this huge white guy who wasn't really athletic compared to Olympic athletes. And Cal Ripken was like the only six foot four white guy shortstop, while every other American League shortstop was five foot ten and from the Dominican Republic and can flip a, a light switch off and get in bed before the room gets dark. Well, Cal Ripken won multiple gold gloves. And it's not because he was faster and quicker than these other people who were so blessed with that trait. It's because Cal Ripken could start moving in the direction of the batted ball before the bat ever hit the ball. He had right. fantastic anticipation skills. And while baseball analogies aren't usually very good with football, I think that's what we got going on with Shane. I, I think when Shane gets a little older and a little more experienced and a little better at diagnosing stuff, he'll start moving in the right direction before the ball is moving in that direction because that's what the best of the best do. So while I'm not saying that people are crazy for not thinking that Shane's not very fast, well, if you think six foot, 245-pound 18-year-olds are fast, when you find that guy, please text the University of Alabama football department because they need to know about the six foot, 245-pound guys who are very fast. They need to know who those guys are. And, and trust me, there really aren't any. Um, and, and, and I, I don't really think yeah. – He's built like he was drawn by DC Comics, too. I mean, that's the other thing about well, him. I mean, he's, he's just – He's Ruben. He's, he's built like Ruben. Yeah. And, and Ruben, Ruben could play in space pretty well, and that's why Ruben is a first-round pick. And I know he's had a lot, a lot of injuries in the NFL, but Ruben was a first-round pick because he's a freak, and, and yep. we shouldn't expect – that every guy after him built the same way will be a freak. Some guys are just simply really good. And, and Shane is really good. Let's give him time to mature and learn to be a player that diagnoses plays. And when he becomes that guy, 
he'll be a really good player and he won't look slow. Jimmy, let's uh, talk really quickly about Justin Jefferson, one of LSU's dynamic wide receivers. Here's his quote today, um, which it sounds like he needs to work a little bit on the confidence trash talking. This is this is all in quotes from uh, the Daily Advertiser. I don't know, he said, and then went on to say, which, by the way, there's got to be a better, <laughs> a better way to write that. I mean, this is I'm just reading this paragraph in quotes. I don't know, comma, he said, and then he went on to say, well, of course he went on to say. I mean, he didn't, he didn't just <laughs> stop talking. That'd be the worst interview ever. He'd be like, you got anything to say about Alabama? I don't know. All right, thanks for talking to us, Justin. Now, I don't know, he said, and then he went on to say, we're going to – we're going to uh we're going to dominate. I mean, there's nothing nothing much to it. I mean, we owe them, so we're gonna go get it. But I mean, he went from being kind of leery about what he was saying to, oh yeah, uh, I'm sorry, I I would lost my concentration. We're gonna dominate Alabama. I'm sorry about that. I I was thinking about something else. <laughs> well, on the one hand, that's pretty crappy trash talking. That's not it's not even good. On the oh, other that's, hand, that's you know it's going up in the weight room. You know it's going <laughs> up in the weight room. Scott Cochran loves that stuff. You know it's going up in the weight room. So he said just enough <laughs> to get his words plastered all over the weight room because that's going to happen. Well, but here's the what thing. What did he really it, say? What, what, do our, it, what do Alabama fans think LSU kids should say? If there's an Alabama fan that says, well, they need to say that they kneel at the altar or that, <laughs> that they don't that, even want they, to show up. That they don't you know, like, oh, we can't beat those guys. Or do you think we can really, with Ed Orgeron, beat Nick Saban? I mean, is that <laughs> what our fans think they should say? So I don't think yeah, our fans should poke fun or be offended because what do you think they should say? But on the other hand, don't say anything that's going to get in the it. Alabama weight room. And this will. It but. is a catch 22 though, because even if he had stopped at, I don't know, Scott Cochran would be like, Oh, he doesn't know, huh? Then I guess we ought to tell him. <laughs> exactly. We ought to show him. What do you mean? He doesn't know. Oh, let's go show him. Maybe he will learn, you know, exactly. the, like he could have said anything. He could have been like, you know, Alabama's one of the greatest teams. One of the greatest one of, huh? We got to teach this boy a lesson, guys. You know, you know what's so so great about about football, the, and shows how silly us to me, really silly about the motivational aspect of the sport. We look for these quotes and signs of disrespect, and oh, isn't it great that LSU moved ahead of Alabama in the AP poll, and now our kids can use it as motivation. And 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 I'm not I'm not disputing any of it. Yes, that's great. I want to use anything we can to motivate our kids to play hard. And then they played Alabama three or four years ago, the NFL. There's no motivation. Do you think those guys in the NFL work out in the weight room and, and like some cowboy player is working in the weight room because he saw a quote from a Philadelphia Eagle that says, you know what, those cowboys, they're not very tough. He, in the NFL, there's none of this. There's none of it. The, the 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 weight room coaches aren't, oh, you know, the Redskins just disrespected you. There's none of it. As a matter of fact, the head coach before the game starts doesn't even give 
a motivational speech. Maybe the players do when they're on the field in warmups, and it's a Ray Lewis or Drew Brees thing when they're on the field and they get in a huddle and, and they talk about, this is our house. Maybe that happens. But the fact of the matter is the motivational stuff in college that feels like such a big deal disappears in the NFL, even though those guys play hard like crazy on every snap. But in the NFL, the motivation is your paycheck. You play no, hard right. or you lose your job. You play hard or you lose your job. That's what the NFL motivation is, is you get a paycheck once a month that won't be there if you're not playing hard. So that's just kind of always interesting to me, how we always have to feel like artificially we have to motivate these 18 to 22-year-old kids. Because once they're 23 or 24 and they're playing the next level, there is no artificial motivation. There is only a paycheck. But Well, that's, that's why I've always thought that the, the rivalries in pro sports are so – overhyped i mean they're just they are all manual now you know you can say what about the yankees and the red sox well i would argue that anything new york versus boston anything any sport any debate any you know if they just were arguing about geography those two wouldn't like each other but so that doesn't really i mean you think about like when they say all the you know the the Eagles and the Cowboys or the Giants and the Cowboys or the Cowboys and the Redskins are some of the greatest rivalries in the NFL. I'm like, you know, not really. They play each other twice. They all play each other twice a year. And, um, you know, I watch NFL games too, because I got fantasy players and I may occasionally bet on one. So yeah, it doesn't look like it's, it's just going nuts. So out there, it's not like, you well, know, the NFL. Being, some, some guys have played for the Red Sox and the Yankees. <laughs> right. <laughs> That doesn't happen. In there ain't guys that play for Alabama and Auburn. Yes, and I know people say, oh, this guy and this guy. Yeah, there's been like three. Who was who was that guy? There was a guy way Corey back Grant. then. Didn't well, Corey Grant, Grant did, but there was there was one that played for Auburn and then transferred to Alabama Dennis in the early Deason. 90s. Dennis no, it wasn't Deason. Well, I, he did. An offensive lineman, there, yeah. No, yeah, but they, this guy was a defensive back, and his name started with R. Oh, uh, shoot. I don't You're know. Right. Why do I know he started with Was that Rodgers? No, it wasn't. Yeah. I think his first name started with R. It, um, damn, it was like Ronnie. Robert. Or... <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Boy, someone's going to tweet at us like, "You guys like, have a podcast? Like, you don't remember?" This? I like how you you went so you went so you're like Robert. You know, I'm oh thinking yeah, that's what it was. Michael Rogers played for Alabama, and I think he had a brother that played for Auburn. Lamar. Lamar Rogers. Lamar Rogers, the big defensive tackle. Yep. Yeah, and he they were from. Uh, we're down Laverne. in South Laverne. That's right. Laverne. And uh, Michael Rogers, very famously, of course, um, had the the halftime speech of all speeches. Or I don't know if he was even halftime. It was probably middle of the third quarter when he was talking to the sideline reporter at the Sugar Bowl. And I'll never forget. Uh, Keith Jackson said that boy's got too, too much adrenaline, doesn't he? I think it's just related to Joe Kynes. <laughs> That would that would have been awesome if you could do a side by side Joe Kynes <laughs> and Michael Rogers interview off. That'd be hilarious. Um, you know, by the way, Jimmy, that's something uh, our good buddy Lawrence McCreary sent us an idea for some podcasts later on in the off season to just talk about old games and go back and maybe watch them and then uh, just notice some things maybe we hadn't seen before. Um, and that's something we're going to do in the off season with this podcast. We hope to keep going it. Uh, through the off season, but Heck that's yeah. going to wrap it. That's going to wrap it up for Tuesday. Uh, we will be back again on Wednesday. And like I said, I hopefully this week 
at some point we'll have an interview with um, one of the locked on team from locked on Raiders. Cause I want to talk to them about uh, Josh Jacobs, obviously, and maybe find out what exactly went on with Amari Cooper and, and do the Raiders miss him and yada, yada, yada. But uh, that'll do it for, for today. When we, uh, Come back tomorrow. We'll probably have some more injury news. So sit tight, everybody. <laughs> this is why I want people to listen to Locked On Bama. This is how committed we are to the Alabama football team. Nick Saban said today in Birmingham at a speaking engagement that the team is not going to start working on LSU until Thursday because if you start working on your next opponent too early, the team gets bored. So we're following that lead. Let's not talk yeah. too much about the LSU game until later in the week and into next week because the team isn't. And let's just be part of the team, and let's just talk about general football stuff and general football program, and and, and let's just not get into the X's and O's of what's what's the Super Bowl of the SEC West in in two weeks. But we're going to follow Nick's lead, and we'll, we'll talk about LSU late in the week. Hey, if you want to talk about procrastination, that's where I'm a Viking. I don't even do my taxes till July. So yeah, we're good. We're there. If I didn't get a birthmark. To... <laughs> I didn't get a birthmark till I was eight. <laughs> oh man. All right. Roll tide, everybody. Roll tide.